0: What,
1: Welcome to the Perfume Room. My scent of the day today is La Perla Once Upon a Garden. Now, I was actually talking about this on Instagram the other day, but I had previously ordered the La Perla Discovery Kit, I think like several months ago. Again, I sort of haphazardly sniffed them all, and I was immediately drawn to my day. And then it was like my day or bust. I, to my own detriment, neglected the rest of the fragrances. Anyway... I finally returned to them yesterday as I was organizing some samples, and I realized I had made a grave mistake. La Perla has so many beautiful scents, but the one that I was immediately smitten with was Once Upon a Garden. It's grassy and dewy, a little herbal, a little fuzzy even, but all under the umbrella of being a warm and mossy, but still fresh, floral. And you know that whenever I smell things, I always try and analyze what it is that I'm perceiving, so I jotted down some notes as I was smelling. So let me read you what I perceived. Okay. I wrote down rose, freesia, raspberry, apple, dried apricot, marjoram, grassy notes, oak moss, and patchouli. A lot going on there. Now, the hero note of this fragrance is the sweet pea flower, which is a flower I'm just not at all familiar with. So I could be describing the exact smell of sweet peas. I don't know. What I do know is that the dewiness of this fragrance feels youthful. The mossiness feels mature. And because of this, I could see this on a perfume lover of any age, wearing the scent avec plaisir. It feels agreeable and mass appealing, but still unique. And I love it let's get to our guest. This episode is my true honor because today we are joined by Raja Dove. I will say that again. Stop what you're doing. Put your phone on Do Not Disturb. Tell the boss you're sick because Raja Dove is in the perfume room today. Raja is a true luminary in the industry and not even just for his own perfumes, which we'll obviously get to in a moment. If you enjoy shopping in thoughtfully curated niche luxury perfume shops, guess who made the mold? It was Raja. He's the founder of the world's first haute de parfumerie, which launched in Harrods almost 20 years ago, and of course is the creator of Raja Parfum, a fragrance brand that's come to be known not just for having the finest quality ingredients, but for the sheer concentration of said ingredients. In addition to all of this, Raja is chairman of the Fragrance Foundation UK and serves as a cultural ambassador for Great Britain. Today, we talk about everything from Raja's personal signature scent to things one should never do when shopping for a fragrance, Raja's aha moment that led to the creation of Raja Parfum, and speaking of, what makes them different, and why some of them carry larger price tags than others. You know we discussed the new launches, including my personal favorite, Isola Blue, which I look forward to wearing and saying aloud all summer long. Isola Blue. And on a side note, if after this episode, you're like, I gotta try these fragrances, guess who carries them? Our beloved sponsor, Twisted Lily. And you know we have a special Perfume Room promotion going on right now, right? Okay, no more from me. Let's get to the episode. Here is Roger Dove. Roger, welcome to the Perfume Room. How are you doing today? It is such an honor to have you on the podcast. You're
2: very kind. It's my honor to be on the podcast and I'm doing just great It's the first time I think I've been back in the city for nearly four years, who Mm. could imagine. Welcome back. it's lovely to be back and great to be seeing my friends and all of that here, so it's good.
1: Nice, well, I'm very happy to have been squeezed into your (laughs) your busy New York schedule. The first question I ask every guest is, what are you currently wearing fragrance-wise?
2: I'm wearing a scent I make for myself. Um, It just has my name on it. So Roger is the answer to your question.
1: Okay, that's interesting because I have read and heard that your signature is oat Lux.
2: Yep. So the scent is actually called Roger, but everybody calls it Oud Lux. There's a version of it you can buy, which comes in a very small collection, which we call Outlooks. and all the perfumes in that collection are perfumes inspired by my life story.
1: Hmm. So when you created the scent, were you creating it with the with the goal of it being your signature scent, or incidentally, it became that?
2: It always sounds patronizing. That's an interesting question, but it is an interesting question. Uh, Originally, it was something I was working on, Uh and it happened that it had lots of ingredients that I loved. Mm -hmm. And as with all scents, I put it on the back of my left hand to smell it. And as I smelt it, I liked it, and then I put it on. And I wore it, I'm making this up for a week, and then Mm -hmm. a week became 10 days. And then I ended up thinking, no, this is absolutely the scent that I want to wear. Mm -hmm. And then it was always a scent that we never had any intention to commercialize, I made it, it was mine. Mm-hmm. And like a petulant child, you know, it was always, no, it's mine. Right. And somebody in our company said that we should sell it because everybody wanted this thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, but I don't want to sell it, it's mine. Right. And so they said in the end, no, you, you should sell it. I said, if you, if you think that there's a, a clientele for it, I'll make 25 bottles f- for my birthday, mm-hmm. 25 for Britain, 25 for the rest of the world. If it sells, that's great, Mm -hmm. and if it doesn't sell, I'll be happy because I'll have a small stock. Right. And uh, it it sort of took on its own life, and I don't know how many we sell today, about 250 bottles or something. So it's a very, very tiny production, Mm. but the version I wear is slightly different to, we wouldn't be able to commercialize the version I have, Mm. because there are some ingredients in it which we wouldn't be allowed to use.
1: That's interesting because one of the questions I was going to ask you because it is so associated with your signature scent and with you, it must be jarring to smell it on somebody else because it, it's probably a part of you at this point.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's um, it's very strange when I smell it on someone else. I I don't know how to quite explain it. It's mm-hmm. just very very strange. Uh, it's right. disconcerting. Yeah. When suddenly I smell, it's like an echo of myself. Yeah. And it's 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 weird. Um. Luckily, it doesn't happen very often, but I have a friend who I gave a bottle to mm. they kept pestering me, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes I smell it on him, and it's just bizarre.
1: Right. Wow. That's wild. Yeah, so, okay, the third question that I always start the interview mm-hmm. with is, do you have any fragrance hot takes or controversial
2: opinions? Uh, I don't know. I think that um, following trends is always a sadness. I think that trends are great for getting people in and inspiring people to go and try. But I think it's always important to follow your own nose. I know that sounds like a bit of a cliche. I've always said never, ever go with friends. When you go to buy a scent, never, ever go with a friend. Mm. Scent's an expression of who we are. Mm-hmm. And if your friend really doesn't like the thing, they'll say something negative about it, and it might end up being enough to make you decide not to wear it, mm-hmm. and that could be, you know, the, the love affair of a lifetime. So why would you want your friend to stop that?
1: <laughs> I agree. Well, so then I'm cu- I agree with that, and I'm curious too. When people wear scents to attract another, how do you feel about? Do you differentiate that versus? Does your friend like your fragrance?
2: Uh, I think that there are some very interesting things, and luckily times have changed a bit. So what I'm about to say is slightly different uh, over the last few years. Okay. I think that. Uh, Women very often will say to another woman, you smell nice or you smell pretty or whatever. Mm-hmm. In the same way women have no issue saying, oh, that lipstick's nice on you, or, your hair looks great or mm-hmm. whatever. Men very rarely turn around and say to another man, you, you smell fabulous. Mm-hmm. It's very, very rare we you ever change would. change that. Yeah, and I think it is changing. Mm-hmm. I think with the younger generation it's certainly changing. But the problem is, as scent is such an expression of who we are, that you might smell a scent that smells fantastic on your friend, but when mm-hmm. you put it on your own skin, it doesn't kind of quite sit right, mm-hmm. if that makes, uh, makes any sense. Right, right. And so I think that it's one of the reasons why I said, I, I really think you should never, ever go with, with a friend when you're choosing a perfume. Um, you, you have to follow your own nose. And the other thing I've always said with scent is never rush into it. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like a, a marriage. Mm-hmm. If you rush into it, most likely it won't work. Mm -hmm. So going into the store or looking online, however you find a fragrance, is like flirting. It's like when people uh, tune into your podcast and hear all sorts of things and it's exciting and it's like flirting, so it's exciting. Uh, And then you you meet the thing for the first time, you get a little bit close, that's the first spray, the first Mm -hmm. spritz. But like a relationship, you really only know whether it's going to last when you spend a night together. So never rush into it. You, you sleep with a lover, and you work out. Do I think this is going to work? Sleep with a perfume, see what will happen. It could be a lifelong love affair.
1: All right, you gotta, you gotta test it out <laughs> and see how it works. Well, it's interesting you say that because I was in Bergdorf's a few weeks ago, yep. and I had the chance to meet Tom, and he was lovely. And I'm curious. Uh, you know, you have multiple locations mm-hmm. or stores that carry your fragrances around the world. Is yep. there a sort of core tenet of the? Raja Dove retail experience or um, what we would be universal? Yeah.
2: I hope that uh, one of the things I hope that always happens is that people understand, the people who represent the brand, understand the breadth of uh, olfactive style there is, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So with some houses, they have very, very particular olfactory fingerprints mm-hmm. and the scents are in a, a particular style style. Mm-hmm. Whereas with mine, the whole idea with Roger Parfums is, is it's supposed to be like a perfumery within a perfumery. Mm-hmm. So if you love chypres, there's a selection. If you like light, bright, breezy, if you like heavy and sultry, there should be something there for you. So I hope that the sales staff really end up ignoring their own taste, but try to discover what your taste is mm-hmm. to find the lifelong love affair. Yeah. It, it's always that. It's about a lifelong love affair.
1: Um, for me, he had picked Sheep Extraordinaire, mm-hmm. and it was perfect. I, I mean, a little b- a little over my budget, but as soon mm-hmm. as I put it on, I was like, "This is this is the one."
2: I'm, that's a lovely thing to hear. You like that scent? I had a, I very rarely I shouldn't maybe say this, but I very rarely read reviews or things to do with my work. Um, sometimes if they're saying I need to read, somebody will put it in front of me to read. Mm-hmm. But I saw um, a, no- a note come in, and somebody wrote. I've just smelled Chypre Extraordinaire, you should stop making perfume. And I thought, ah! and then they wrote, because it's so perfect, you couldn't make anything better. And and so suddenly I had a big smile on my face. Um, That was a very difficult fragrance to make. Um, Mm. There's an enormous note of tuberose in it, Mm -hmm. which I think is so wrapped up and hidden, you don't realize it's there, Mm -hmm. but it gives it a very creamy, luxurious volume, mm-hmm. which you often don't find in uh, in a lot of sheep mm. no. it's, uh,
1: it's beautiful. I love it. I, Thank you. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I want to go back to the beginning. When did your love of fragrance first begin, and when do you first remember being aware of fragrance?
2: Uh, that's a, a, not straightforward to answer. I believe my, my, the first time I made a connection with scent was when my mother came to give me a kiss goodnight. Uh, she was wearing an evening dress. My ordinary mum had sort of metamorphosed. I don't know what an ordinary mum is, by the way, but, you know, it was like something very special had happened. And my mother was wearing an evening dress. She had on a small diamond necklace. Her hair was dressed, makeup. My mother wore very little face powder and lipstick. And she came to kiss me goodnight, and I remember the smell of her face powder and the perfume. And as my mum was standing in the, uh, the entrance to my bedroom, the landing light was on. Well, of course, I was too, too young to know about backlighting, I now insist on it, but mm-hmm. um, so it was as if my mother had this corona around her because the dress she was wearing was made of gold lame. Wow. And so this corona or halo as a little boy, you only see that in books, it's the image of a fairy or an angel. Or, so it was like my mum had really been metamorphosed. And... I made this connection between a person, a moment in time and perfumes. So I used to, I, I don't know how old I was, I always say was about seven, I don't know if that's true. Mm-hmm. And I used to creep into my mother's bedroom mm-hmm. and I'd open the bottom left-hand drawer of her dressing table where she had what looked like enormous bottles of cologne. I'm sure they weren't so big, but as mm-hmm. a kid... And I used to open the boxes, and I used to open the bottles and smell them, knowing I shouldn't be in her bedroom, let alone touching stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the first time, as I say, I made a connection between a minute in time, a person, and a scent. And I've always said I believe that was the minute that I started walking down this path. But I know that uh, my personal scent, uh, taste, uh, I adore them. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes from when I was uh, very small. My mother said to me, uh, my, my grandparents' home, the back of their grounds turned into a woodland. And my mother said to me one day, why don't you go and pick some bluebells for your grandmother? Mm-hmm. It's now illegal to pick them in Britain, but huh. um, I went and picked them, and nobody told me to stop. So I picked a two huge buckets of uh, bluebells, and I think it's one of the reasons I love the smell of the woodland floor—patchouli mm. and mosses and so mm-hmm. on. I don't know that's true, but I think it's you know where that olfactory um, association comes from. I don't know if that answers your question. That
1: does. That's that's beautiful. And what were some of those fragrances as you were going through your mother's drawer? Do you remember any of the scents that you... I
2: know that she had... had? Um, well, she had a very, very close friend who lived in Paris that used to bring... A family friend who used to bring them. Uh, I think a lot of them were, were classic cologne-type uh, scents. Mm-hmm. Uh, in its day, of course, uh, Coty was... You know, the father of modern perfumery, as right. so many people forget, but a uh, genius. And I know that she used to always have uh, Coty Léments in uh, these enormous flasks. Mm. Um, I can't remember what else was in there. But it was uh, it was just this very magical thing. And the thing where I still put scent on the back of my hand here mm-hmm. comes because if I was feeling very brazen and brave, I would just touch the top of the bottle and put a little bit there for the, for a secret sniff. A secret, and, and, yes. and I have kept that uh, going. It's where I always put scent when I want to... To try it on the back of my hand and my thumb.
1: Ah, huh, that's such a that's a nice little hiding spot. <laughs> so. so then, when did this go from loving your your mother's fragrances yeah. and seeing that halo around her and the smell of bluebells to mm-hmm. you as a fragrance consumer and wearer?
2: Yeah. So, well, I think where most young boys spend their money on, I've no idea quite what. But mm-hmm. I used to save up and spend all my money on bottles of perfume, which I think is quite an unusual thing for mm-hmm. for a child. So maybe when I was about. I'm being figurative. 12, 13, I used to go and buy bottles of what I thought were wildly smart. I'm sure they weren't smart. And when I was 16, I discovered a scent which I love by Balenciaga called Eau de l'Avande. It's gone a long time ago. But it was sort of super smart, and I felt like the chicest thing on God's earth wearing this old Balenciaga perfume. And then I discovered... Uh, In a shop window in a town near where I grew up called Chichester, there was an advertisement, two little advertisement placards in the window. And it had pictures of couples in period costume, and underneath the name of a scent, and then a date. So it had Jiki 1889, Leur Bleu 1912, Hmm. Mitsuko 1919. And it was the first time that it uh, 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 that I realized that of course perfume was made one day that my son so, so stupid. No, but no. But of course it's something we just go into a shop and we see it, but we never stop to think that That's this the was made. Story. Yeah. yeah, you know that uh, number five, as we know, 1921, mm-hmm. and Mistiore 1947, and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And so I was fascinated by that. Because as a young child, somebody who's two years older than you seems really, really grown up. And somebody five years older than you is ancient. So these perfumes with these ancient dates, I was fascinated to go and see and try. And uh, it it really became uh, obsessional. Uh, It really did. It became obsessional. But the the more I discovered scent, the more I discovered there was to discover. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to understand, you know, there was no such thing as an internet. Mm-hmm. Um, everything was very secretive. Most people would have no idea who the perfumers were. You couldn't find out about raw materials. Mm-hmm. So the only way you could do it was by finding a book and reading. Although there were very few, and most were technical books. Or you, you spoke to people. So you started pestering them. And that's what I used to do. I used to pester people. I used to write letters um, or go in and see people and just try and get as much information as I could. I was very hungry for knowledge.
1: I read that pestering is what ultimately (laughs) led you into the industry. Yeah,
2: totally it is. Uh, A woman that I uh, became very friendly with who worked at Guerlain Mm -hmm. uh, ended up becoming the managing director. Mm -hmm. And the company at that time was owned by three cousins. Mm -hmm. And one day one of them said, who is Roger Dove? Mm -hmm. And she said, why? And he said, because I'm fed up receiving telephone calls and faxes. Wow. From the subsidi- From the subsidiaries around the world asking if they could give me information. So I was literally writing to lots of subsidiaries around the world. Mm-hmm. And um, so she explained who I was and he said, give him a job. He'll be less of a nuisance in the company than he is out of it. And that's how I got my job and started in the industry. And I was sent off to a company called Rabaté, who are mm-hmm. the world's leading supplier of luxury naturals. Uh, and I was sent down there and um, I started to learn about the raw materials. I had the enormous privilege of working with uh, perfumers like Guy Robert, who made mm-hmm. uh, Calèche and Madame Rochas and Equipage and Amouage, uh, and a lovely woman called Nancy McConaughey who made Yvoix de Balmain, which in its day was you know a great masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And um, I discovered very quickly that people in our industry were very kind. It, it's one of the things I always tell people starting in the industry, Never be frightened to ask, because mm-hmm. most people you meet will be kind. And I don't think that's true of every profession, but mm-hmm. I think fundamentally it is true of our, our industry.
1: That's so interesting because I feel like the public persona of the fragrance industry is that it is so sort of gate-kept and mm-hmm. so few people know the secrets and are not willing to share. So your experience as a young person navigating it was, mm-hmm. it was different. the opposite. Of yeah, that. yeah, it was
2: different to it. I think that... Um, I think one of the things that most many people don't realize, why should they, is that our industry is actually quite a small one. So it's right. a sort of multi-billion dollar industry. But actually, in one way, it's quite small. And so most people know each other either directly or indirectly.
1: Mm-hmm. It's like Hollywood,
2: uh, kind of. Yeah. Yes, kind of. I've never mm-hmm. thought. Of, yes, it's sort of like that, I think. Mm-hmm. And so a, a man I respect hugely is a perfumer, Rodrigo Flores Rue. And we've been friends for an age and, you know, his work is a genius. So how can you not say that? And I think that our industry is like that. I think right. that um, that everybody has their voice. Mm-hmm. And those voices together make this fantastic cacophony of smell, which pushes our, our industry forward. And I love it for that.
1: Mm. And have you now at the position that you're in, Have you had the chance to be pestered by young people looking for answers (laughs) and professions and advice? Um,
2: I hope that, uh, who knows what any of us would be remembered for and if we're remembered at all, but I hope the one thing that people will always remember me for, if they do, Mm -hmm. is that anybody who writes to me, I try to reply to. Mm -hmm. When I can, I try to see people. Mm -hmm. I try to make introductions for people. Some people you meet live in a fantasy land and I think, well, you actually need to come down to earth if you're going to get anywhere, if that makes any sense. Yes. It's so fantastical what they have in their mind. Or how big an ego some people have mm-hmm. uh, when they really shouldn't, because none of us really should. Um, but yeah, I I, I think that you know, it's the reason that I do, uh, I've, I, I conduct f- uh, fragrance training courses for people which I do because it's my payback to the industry to try to help or inspire new generations. I think we all have an obligation to pass knowledge down. That's something I really feel very strongly about. I wrote a book on perfumery. I've written two books on perfumery. I wrote a book on perfumery uh, because I started to hear journalists quote things which was what they were being told, which I knew were factually incorrect. Mm. Uh, so they did a re-edit of the book where I put some particular things in that I wanted to make sure that in 50 years' time, when somebody is writing or doing a podcast or whatever the future of podcasting is, whatever, mm. mm-hmm. that the fact is there, and the fact is there because there is photographic evidence. So I think that we all really do all have an obligation to pass information down. You know, I'm old enough that the people that I was lucky to work with right at the beginning, when they were young, they were working with the perfumers of the beginning of the 20th century. Right. So a lot of what I learned when I was young is very anecdotal. Right. And I think those anecdotes are also important to pass down. And I hear, you know, there's a, I won't say which because I think it's wrong. There's a very famous story as how Coty started his Business mm-hmm. where he smashed a bottle, or one dropped—it depends, you know, deliberate or an accident—a mm-hmm. uh, bottle of a perfume called Le Rose Jacqueminot in a department store called Le Grand Magasin de Louvre in mm-hmm. Paris, and uh, the people in the shop, customers, "Oh, what's the smell? What's the smell?" And the buyer had to call him back in and gave him his first contract. Mm-hmm. That story is being told that another brand did that, and you just think, why? You know. Mm. So I think documentation of things, yeah. and where you have the uh, photographic evidence or something of the sort and uh, I think it's important it's important just to pass stuff down I'm waffling right. a little bit I'm no, sorry no <laughs>
1: you're not to, to keep the, the history because like you said in 50 years time when there isn't someone who knew the first person who originally had the story how yeah. are we going to to Tot- know yes so.
2: totally so I, I, I think that's important I think the um, I think we all the old cliche but we have to understand the past to know what the future can be yeah I simply that. that. Yeah. And I also do think that it's very easy for people to make statements about things and make themselves look foolish because you can say, this is the first, or this is the, I often preface things with, in my opinion, or to the best of my knowledge, right. because that's what it is. It's the best of my knowledge.
1: Guys, huge, epic, big announcement. I am so excited to share that a longtime friend of the podcast has just become an official partner of the podcast. Twisted Lily, my go-to destination for authentic, hard-to-find niche and luxury fragrances, is sponsoring Perfume Room for the entire month and is hooking you all up with a special larger than normal discount code, which I will share with you all shortly. I mean, come on, as if we did not already stand Twisted Lily enough, but we do, and this is an ad, so let me tell you why. Twisted Lily fragrances are 100% authentic, brand new, and straight from the source. So there is never a chance that you'll receive something that's fake or expired. Also, Twisted Lily makes online fragrance shopping easy and fun. You can sort fragrances by brand, price, fragrance family, even mood. And if you're looking for a little more guidance, use my personal favorite feature, the Match It tool. Enter the name of any fragrance you love and it'll tell you not only its fragrance family, it recommends three other Twisted Lily scents that you are likely to enjoy. Then you click one button, And all three of those samples get immediately added to your cart. And I'll say it on record, Twisted Lily samples are the best. I said what I said, and I mean it. You know why? Because they're all atomizers. Yeah. Sprays. And if you're celebrating Mother's Day, which is May 14th, this would make a perfect gift. Thoughtful, personal, activity-centered, check, check, check. Patience is a virtue, so here is the code. Now through the end of June, Get $25 off any purchase over $100 with the code perfume room at checkout. Again, that's just perfume room at checkout for $25 off anything over $100. I will post all my favorite Twisted Lily scents in the notes of this episode. As we talk about you're you're mentioning the training that you do there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are also looking for more effective training is it something that's for the public is it more industry centered or
2: um there's an organization a body which uh, originated in in Manhattan which is called the fragrance foundation so there are different uh subsidiaries of it in different countries and so I uh, I'm now the chairman of the one in the UK. And so for years I've done a training for uh, members of the Fragrance Foundation. Oh, wow. But we've opened it up a little bit and people who are not members can apply to come. In fact, I did one, I get muddled up, so I'm going to say four weeks ago, I don't know when it was. Mm-hmm. And we had two people who flew over from America uh, to come to it, which I always find. That's amazing. Well, I always find it extra, you know, I do find it truly amazing that people would uh, would do that. But uh, I think they joined it in because then they were going on to Milan, to uh, to Exons, oh, So it okay. sort of, it just worked out that way. But uh, there's so much information out there. But I think navigating the information sometimes can be difficult for people. So I, I hope the training courses that I do conduct are, are, are well-structured and logical, that they help people when they then look at other things to be able to make a better understanding, get a better understanding of, of what it is they're discovering.
1: Ah, interesting. Okay, so so as we think about, um, you know, you got into the industry through lots of letters and subsidiaries, emailing yes. and faxes and all of these things. Then what? You've been in this industry now for a most lifetime. of your li- a lifetime. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so actually, let's go to Haute Perfumery okay. next. Yes.
2: So, uh f- I left the company I worked for Mm -hmm. in 2001. Mm -hmm. I started my own company in 2001. I really didn't know what I could do in the industry. So it was a very odd thing because my name was so associated with the company that I used to work for. Mm -hmm. um, And I I didn't know quite what I could do. And two things happened within a very short space of time. One, I was invited to a dinner party and realized that I'd been set up, because uh, at the dinner party there were about, I can't really remember, say 12, 10 or 12 people. And I only knew one of them, the host. It was a man called John Wynne Williams, and he said to me, would you be prepared to make a perfume for an auction we're uh, hosting at uh, Christie's?
1: Nice dinner party. <laughs>
2: And everybody at the table stopped talking and looked at me. So I knew that everybody knew this was going to happen. So it was horrid. Um, So I think, I can't remember what I did. I either drank something or put something in my mouth (laughs) and said, no, I don't think I'd like to do that at all. And then later, a little while later, I was thinking about it. And I said to him, look, can we have a conversation about that privately? Mm -hmm. And so I used to know there was a phenomenal woman who worked at Baccarat, the crystal company called Brigitte Berry, Mm She had been the publisher of French Vogue, I think, for something like 27 years. So she knew everybody. And uh, I knew her and I phoned her up and said, look, in 1925 for the decorative art fair, you made a bottle called Lotion Bleu. This is what's happening. There's this big auction. It's underwritten by Ralph Lauren. And all the money is going to something called the Terence Higgins Trust, which is uh, one of our big HIV AIDS charities. Hmm. And so I said, would you be prepared to re-blow one of those bottles for me? Because I had the idea that if I put an empty bottle up, mm-hmm. if somebody bought it, I would make the perfume for them. Because I mm. thought, if I make a perfume and you don't like it, you're not going to buy it. Right. And so she said, uh, she, she was like a caricature of somebody very French with a very deep voice. She said, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, later she got in contact with me and said, yes, we have the mold. So they re one of these bottles.
1: How did you determine that was the bottle you wanted? So I just,
2: well, it's a, okay, that's, um, I live in Brighton. So I live in between two places. I live between London and Brighton, which Mm -hmm. is by the seaside. And the symbol of Brighton is a dolphin. Mm. But it's a sort of mythological dolphin, I think from before people really knew what they were. Mm -hmm. So I like the idea that uh, this This beast is sort of a little bit mythological. It's also from the city where I live. And the stopper is a ball, and it made me think of a crystal ball that you know, people that think that they can look, you know, when you go to see the for- right. fortune teller, that's the yes. word I'm hunting for. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, a perfume is a bit like that, isn't it? You put it on and maybe the perfume can change your life. Ooh. Because when you put a perfume on, the person behind you who can't see you maybe could smell you and it makes them turn their head to mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. So our life can change with perfume. That was what was in my mind. And so this perfume went up for auction. It was up against a Mercedes sports car and a holiday, I think, I can't remember, of six or eight people in the Maldives and other things. They were like the top smart lots Mm -hmm. and the perfume fetched the most money at the auction. So it made me understand that my way back into perfumery was through bespoke work. So that Mm -hmm. was that. And then around the same time, I can't remember which came first, uh, I was invited into Harrods Mm -hmm. for a cup of tea and literally before I was even seated, They said we want to open a perfumery with you. Well, it wasn't in my mind. You know, Mm -hmm. in my mind, I didn't know what they wanted me to do. Talk to the staff about perfumes. I didn't know, and so I said, "But you've already got a really lovely perfume hall. Mm -hmm. Why do you want another one?" And the one thing was, I used to travel. I used to travel up to six months of the year around the world, and the one thing that I I realized early on was that our our industry went through an enormous metamorphose. It suddenly was owned by people who are brilliant at marketing. And we were, as an industry, churning perfumes out. You know, mm-hmm. a year became long in the life of a perfume. Right. It didn't have the normal cycle. And scent became cheaper and cheaper. And it was just about the latest, the newest, the marketing, etc. And I had this thought and I said, well, if we're going to open a perfumery, if I do decide and we decide that's what we're going to do, there has to be a reason for it. It has to have its own raison Mm d'etre. And I said that the one thing uh, it needs to have is a raison d'etre, otherwise Mm -hmm. there's no point. Mm -hmm. And so I came with this idea of writing a list of all the houses whose perfumes, who I thought made great perfume, but in my opinion, it's nothing but my opinion, Not every perfume that those houses make, of course, is great. Mm -hmm. So I then wrote a list of the scents that they made, which I thought were the best examples of their type, whether they were still in production or not. Mm -hmm. And so I started to have the meetings with the houses and said, look, you know, I went to Dior and said, I would really like Diorama and I'd really like Diorling because they're the work of Mm Rodnitska. I'd like uh, Eau Freiche. Diorama and Diorling had gone and uh, everyone came back with not quite why not but why not and so i love when i now walk in perfumeries and see those perfumes again in all the good perfumeries around the world um a house like the scent of Mm calcafleur lots of people don't realize how important it was it With that one scent, they fundamentally laid down the blueprint for how floral bouquet would be. Right. Uh, So you see this use of uh, rose, jasmine, ylang, sandalwood, vanilla. It's over and over and over, nearly every floral bouquet you see. Mm -hmm. But it was the first. So the name Kalkafleur is great. Some flowers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's such a throwaway name for such an important perfume. And the Paris family who own... uh, they wanted it in the perfumery, but I said, "I'll take it if you make the perfume. I can't have it without perfume. Mm-hmm. And my other thing was I wanted perfumes, not eau de toilette, not eau de parfum. I wanted perfume. Mm. And so lots of the houses, uh, it was very successful from the day it launched. Every single house we approached agreed. Wow. And I think that uh, it was the first time I realized I was getting old because people were taking me seriously, but also more to the point. <laughs> it was because it was in Harrod, so it's a globally significant store.
1: You had made a reputation for yourself Okay, at this well, point. that's very kind.
2: Yes. yes. I hadn't got old at all. I just made you a reputation for myself. You just made a myself. reputation. Thank yeah. you. And so um, so we launched the shop, and I was trying to explain the concept. And I said, it's like the difference between pret a porter Haute Couture. Mm. This is Haute Parfumerie. And as I said it, I said, you know, and that's its name. It would be the Roger Dove Haute Parfumerie. It just came like that. Just like that. Wow. And it was actually because I was frustrated trying to exp- explain it. Mm-hmm. And to my knowledge, it was the first shop anywhere in the world to be called Haute Parfumerie. Mm-hmm. I'm 99% sure that's true. And now, of course, the term is used uh, a lot. So the difficulty with that shop is that we were right at the beginning of a very, very important movement, which is where we are today in perfumery. Uh, of really looking at creative perfumery. So this was looking at creative perfumery from the past, really, um, but it was part of the wave that was going to come with all the new indie bands and blah, blah, blah that have mm-hmm. come since. Um, so the difficulty we have is that lots of things that we championed right at the very beginning have now become, say, mainstreams. not quite it, but... You know, because everybody is following that. It's where everybody wants to go. So keeping the perfumery alive with things that are relevant for it mm-hmm. is uh, a, an interesting challenge. It's a good challenge because it's always good to be pushed, never to sit on on your laurels. But the one thing we never had in the shop was anything with my name on it. Mm. That was the thing people couldn't get their heads around. They thought I was sitting up there mixing things. or So
1: mm-hmm. that was the
2: beginning of the eau parfumerie.
1: So a question about that before I move on to the more bespoke stuff yeah. is, was it an uncomfortable conversation at all to have with certain houses to say we'd like this scent but not that one?
2: No, I think that most of the brands saw it was an opportunity for them to celebrate their patrimony.
0: Mm. Okay. And, to
2: show their, and to really show their prowess or expertise, whatever word you might like to say, which. Many houses have sort of turned their backs on us, I said, a little bit. So mm-hmm. it, it was showcasing. Right.
1: Like this is a canon of fragrance and it will be in my it, Exactly that. Right.
2: And there was, only one brand, there was only one brand that didn't want to go along with the game. I won't say who they are because it's not relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very happy to supply us. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't allow me to, if you like, cherry pick. Because our industry never allowed cherry picking. You had the catalogue or you didn't.
1: And to my knowledge, they don't still. No. You're, this is you're very special.
2: 100%. Um, and so this one house, uh, I said to them, look, I understand 100%. It's really nice that you say you want to supply, but I don't want the catalogue. It's already in the shop. What's the point of it? Mm-hmm. Um And of course... I know most of the journalists very well. And so the journalists were all wondering why this particular brand was not in my shop. Mm-hmm. And so, word started was it because I didn't think they were any good? They didn't know the backstory. They didn't know that I'd had the conversation. Mm-hmm. So, they thought it was I had decided it wasn't good enough for my shop. Mm-hmm. And so, the MD got in contact with the commercial director, and the commercial director telephoned me to say, You are happy with the decision, aren't you? I said, Of course, I respect your decision. Uh, perfectly, but every other brand—that um, was a little sidetrack, but it's quite a funny story. Yeah. But uh, every other brand agreed, and uh, and it really was successful from from day one. And I have what was interesting up until COVID. We basically also kept the same team, which for central London, it's like in Manhattan, it's very rare you find the right. sa- same sales associates. Mm-hmm. So we had a core team that had been with, working with me for about. 13 or 14 years in there. So they really knew the clients, they knew the products, they knew the clients from all around the world, and that also was very much part of, uh, part of its success.
1: And so then, at what point, did Oat Perfumery <laughs> start carrying fragrances with your work? name on it? Okay, yes.
2: so I kept being asked, uh, being told that clients were asking. So I came with an idea, which was, I said, okay, I'll make a scent that would be hidden in a drawer, Because I wanted that whoever bought something that I made had to love perfume. Mm -hmm. That might sound strange, but they had to love perfume. If somebody was coming in, their motive was they wanted something very exclusive or something very expensive. I had hundreds of things that fitted that bill. So the criteria for if you wanted something of mine, you had to love perfume. So the the, uh, tester for it was hidden in a drawer. It didn't come in a fancy bottle. Mm -hmm. It came in what are called perfumer's flasks, which in case any of your listeners don't know what one is, it's a very fancy name. It's the correct name Mm -hmm. for a perfume container that's made out of aluminium. Mm -hmm. And all scent is put in aluminium. All the oils are put in aluminium. And the reason we use it, it's very strong and light, so for shipping stuff around the world. Mm -hmm. And it has a lining inside, which is inert, so there can be no interaction on the scent. So I came with this idea... Uh, of making these bottles, 250 ml perfume. Wow. And then you had to get a bottle or something to put it in. Um, but it was very, say ugly is not it, but you know, nothing pretty about right. it. Very sort of industrial. It was, just, it was industrial, Yeah. just about the scent. Mm-hmm. And so um, I didn't know what to call them, and my team started to call them semi-bespoke which, of course, there's no such thing as semi-bespoke. It's contradictory. contradiction. is either bespoke or it's not. But I, so, I, I see where they're going with that. <laughs> but, yeah. but I couldn't think of a better name, and the yeah. name stuck, and I love the name. Yeah. They have numbers and not names, and the reason for that, I like the idea with perfume. It's about fantasy. When we wear perfume, it, it, we go to another world. It's mm-hmm. a fantasy. And so I like the idea that it, you could name it. After yourself, mm-hmm. you can give it another name. It can be whatever you like, mm-hmm. and so uh, those those perfumes, uh, I decided only fifty people a year could ever own one. We keep your name. If you buy another, you keep it the next year. If you don't want it next year, that's fine, and then it becomes available to somebody else. Yeah. So um, so that's that was the story of them, and they're still, you know, pe- people love them. Mm-hmm. People love the idea that when they have one, they're not likely to bump into somebody else. It right. smells the same way. The bespoke work, I fundamentally have stopped. I, there's one one client I still make for, um, which is an enormous privilege for me to be able to make for. So mm-hmm. that I love, but the rest I don't do it anymore. And then, um, I know it's not quite what you were asking, but just to explain the follow-on for, from it, uh, then will come Roger Parfum. Mm-hmm. Um, the original thing, I never thought anybody would be interested in what I had to say from an olfactory point of view. That might sound really silly, but I just never did. Mm. Um, and then in 2009, very sadly, my mother died. Mm, and I've always said, you know, my mother, m- most of who I am I learned from her uh, on, on so many levels, I can't begin to tell you. And so I was utterly devastated when she died. And I was having dinner with a very close friend, uh, somebody I meet I meet about once or twice a year, and we always do the same thing. We go to a hotel called Claridge's, which is a very lovely little hotel in London, mm-hmm. and we have the same thing to eat. We don't mean to, but we just kind of do. And then we have this whole thing over... Um, the wine, we always have a glass of merceau and then say, Should we have a bottle? No, we have a glass, and we have a second one, then so we should have bought the bottle. <laughs> and this is always the same. It's sort of the format of these dinners. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, at this particular one, I thought I was putting a very brave face onto the world. And uh she gave me the biggest metaphoric slap round the face I think I've had in my working career, and said, You've spent your entire life promoting other people's work, curating other people's work, when you're going to do it for yourself. Mm. And so I left uh, two or three hours later, however long the dinner was, and I phoned Peter, my partner, and said to him, uh, we're going to launch perfume brand. And so I set about for the next however long it was, 18 months, um, coming up with what Roger Parfum would be. hmm And we launched it on July the 2nd, which was one day away from what would have been my parents' wedding anniversary. So nice. Um, On the back of every bottle and box, it says A Fragrance by Roger Dove, which most customers won't even notice is there. The reason it's there is I wanted to leave a legacy for my family name. Mm. Um, And so I went into the store on July the 2nd. Uh, I was asked to do the morning talk. Well, there's a bit I missed out, actually, because we have the shop upstairs in Harrods. I said to the buying director, she was at the time, a woman called Annalise Fard from Harrods, um, oh, just to let you know, I'm about to launch perfume brand and blah, blah, blah. She said, tell me a bit more about it. So I did. And she said, oh, I want it in the perfumery hall. Oh, really? She said, yeah, I like it in the perfumery hall. So I'd never had a commercial product before, so I had to ask her, how many do we make? Mm-hmm. And you have to think, we came into the market, if I remember correctly, at £275 our entry price, when the industry's average price was about £25. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said, make this much, it should last you four to six months. So we made exactly the amount, she said, mm-hmm. and we sold out of all of it in 10 days. Incredible. And so at that stage, you know, everything was being done by hand, and so if the next day we could get 30 bottles into the shop, that's what was shipped. And the next day if it was 15, and the next day if it was 50. Mm-hmm. And so every day we were delivering into Harrods, which is not how a department store normally operates. So mm-hmm. they pulled out every stop to support us, and I will wow. always be very grateful for that fact. Um, by So launching in July, by December, we ranked number one in the perfumery, which, uh, if you use the expression in America... David can beat Goliath. It really made me, mm-hmm. you know, I I work in a world full of Goliaths and mm-hmm. our brand with no money for advertising and marketing mm-hmm. was number one selling branded Harrods. And I have a letter from Michael Ward, who's the CEO of Harrods, saying we're the most successful launch in Harrods history. That's incredible. Which is, you know, they are all pinch me things. They're just right. pinch, real, right. real, real, real pinch me things. And so, um, so we launched the brand and the brand was a huge success and... Uh, we're still ranking the top five in Harrods today, which I'm very, very proud of. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine you know, the brand's 11 years old, and we now sell in, I think, 65 countries around the world. In, I'm making all this up. 450 stores, I think, but don't quote me on the number because I'm mm-hmm. really rubbish at all of that. <laughs> but uh, And I'm really proud because it's privately owned. We've never borrowed a penny. I just believed, at that moment through that one meal, I just believed this is what we have to do and should do. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did.
1: It's interesting hearing, you know, how you said a Raja Dove perfume is Mm -hmm. on the back of every Mm -hmm. box or bottle. Mm.
2: And both. both, both. both.
1: And how legacy is so important to you. And you also have done so much work at sort of conserving all the stories that were passed down to you. I Mm -hmm. feel like legacy is a big part of what you do. Mm. And a lot of your fragrances also are, in my opinion, homages to sort of genres that we're not seeing that are that are that yeah. popular today.
2: Yeah, I think that, yes, I think there's truth of that. I mean, what I've always said is that I I respect the past, mm-hmm. but I don't live in the past. Right. Um, so when you're, you're mentioning a scent like Chypre extraordinaire, who really makes big Chypre perfumes today? You, you right. very rarely see them. What's interesting, though, is therefore for a lot of young consumers, when they discover a perfume like it, mm-hmm. to them they're totally new. Right. They've
1: discovered something no one's ever done before.
2: Because, yeah, which of course they have. And that's right. the thing of always knowing, knowing the past. Mm-hmm. So that's very true. And there's a, a, a scent I make called A Good Night Kiss. It's the only scent I've ever made deliberately to be a retro. I'll talk about it again in, in a minute mm-hmm. if you want. Yeah. Uh, but I made it really deliberately to be a retro. There was a big story behind it. And I was thrilled when uh, tra- traveling, one of the uh, a beauty director of Vogue said, I've always looked for my perfume and this is it. And I don't know how she was, I'm rubbish, she was about 30. Mm-hmm. And you know, this for me was a perfume which was really sort of in its vintage, heyday in the yeah. 20s, 30s. Right. And there was this young woman saying, no, no, th- this is mine, mm. who gets to smell every single thing going. Um was a huge honour, but I think that it's because those scents are new to a young generation.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think fashion and fragrance and beauty, there's it sort of history repeats itself. Yeah. So you discover something, you think you've hopped on this new trend, and then lo and behold,
2: hundred percent that.
1: Mm.
2: And it's always the thing that it has to be done in a new way,
1: right? Your fragrances feel very contemporary, but yeah. they feel like get, a nod yes. to vintage. And I think,
2: and I think a lot of that is to do with you know we use very, very, very high percentage of naturals. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we use synthetics. Uh, synthetic you can't make, great. I don't believe you can make good clothes without synthetics, yeah. without any maybe. I think that uh, my way of explaining the balance, I think that if you take a cotton t-shirt and you put 1% spantex or elastin in it, mm-hmm. that t-shirt will still look fabulous at the end of the day. Right. And fundamentally the feeling of it is natural. Mm-hmm. If you make a t-shirt that's 99% spantex or elastin,
1: Different, different stuff. It's totally different. Right.
2: And so I think one of the things you feel within uh, all the perfumes of Roger Parfum is um, a feeling of naturalness. That's where the quality of what's inside the bottle comes.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of the naturals, I do want to talk about the quality of your ingredients. And I also do want to acknowledge, because it is something that comes up in the fragrance community a lot, the price point of mm-hmm. your fragrances and how much they vary within the line. Mm-hmm. So what would make something, for example, uh, $485 and another one $3,500?
2: So the thing with price, uh, I think there are two, two things to say with it. The first one, I think a lot of people compare what we make when it's perfume to another brand where it is not perfume. When you're talking about price comparison, okay. I think what a lot of people do is see the headline price of this, right. and it's whatever it is, and they'll maybe compare it to something from another brand, but the other brands is maybe not perfume. right? So I don't know that people always compare eau de parfums with another company, knowing that both are eau de parfum. Mm-hmm. Because if you do, many of the things sit actually around the same sort of price. Right. You know, I'm not saying the same, but in the same ballpark. Right. Uh, To answer the question of why are some perfumes this price within our collection and something else another price, Mm -hmm. I think that when you get olfactive styles which are very not commercial, Mm -hmm. and one of the things certainly with some of the fragrances we have, I'd say they're very esoteric, Mm -hmm. where we will only ever make very small quantities because there's a very small clientele around the world for it. That comes at a cost because we have production costs but absolutely no volume. And sometimes those perfumes, it's because of the volume of the naturals that are inside them. So, for example, as a brand, we are not suggesting this in every scent. But uh, in some of the scents, like my scent, it Mm -hmm. has the most enormous volume of natural ambergris. Mm -hmm. Natural ambergris at the moment sits at somewhere around about six, seven times the price of gold bullion. So you can put a synthetic one in, if you like, right? Um, and you put the natural, and there's no obligation to say whether something is natural or synthetic. Mm-hmm. But in ours, it's natural ambergris. So it's a, it's a mixture of things. It's down to the cost of the raw material, mm-hmm. more to the point, the volume of whatever that raw material is, mm-hmm. and then in the end, what your production costs are because of the volume itself. Right. I don't know if that answers the question. No,
1: it, it doesn't. You were touching on um, that some fragrances have a small clientele. Yep. I'm curious, is there one typical type of client <laughs> for Raja
2: no, I think that um, it was very funny when we first launched the brand. So you have to think, uh, well, no, you don't have to think at all, you know it very well. As you know, so I should say, our industry is what, it's extraordinarily vibrant. Mm-hmm. It has hundreds of new players coming every moment, blah, blah, blah. So when we were absolutely the new kids on the block, of course, we had to let people know we were here. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways we did that was with newness. So when we launched, we launched really a lot of perfumes, one after the other, one after the other. And we appealed to two clients, two fundamental clients. Mm -hmm. We appealed to people who were super rich, and we also appealed to people...
1: Who aspire to be. No.
2: <laughs> who are, this is not mutually exclusive, but we appeal to people who just loved perfume. Mm-hmm. And I know that for some of those people, they absolutely bust the bank to buy a bottle of scent. Mm-hmm. And those people are really some of my favorite clients. And if we're known for anything, one of the things we really have a reputation for is really developing personal Conversations with our customers, mm-hmm. and I know amongst the online fragrance community, a lot of people say that we communicate more with our clients than almost any other brand. People can't believe how much we do it. Right. Of course, it's not possible to write to everybody, and but you know, we really, we really, really do communicate uh, with our clients. When I was young, you know, I would I would spend one third of my money on perfume every month.
0: Mm-hmm. As you
1: do, you have to a lot the, for the perfume budget. <laughs> but
2: I did. I used to spend a third. I used to spend a third of my um, money on on perfume. So I know what it's like to bust the bank. Yes. To end up uh, buying because it's the, the the thing I love. So those people that have that passion, and I think the thing that's really great, which is not what your question was, but I love the fact, uh, which so many people in our industry don't seem to know much about. How I have no idea but uh, how strong the online community are. And, of Mm -hmm. course, the thing that's great now is a small niche brand, an individual creating something. The word will literally go around the world in no time. And the thing of I've discovered this, oh, what's that? Or let me tell you about it. And so how everybody learns from everybody and how people share fragrance... And all of the things that happen on the online community, I think, are extraordinary. So, we are also very lucky that when we launched, we launched at a time when the whole online fragrance community was growing. Right. Uh, the timing just worked for us. It just mm-hmm. worked for us really very well. And I think that our brand's quite polarizing. Luckily, most people love it, some people don't, which is just great. Mm-hmm. I've always said scent has to engender a feeling.
1: That's true.
2: If you feel something I've done is, Okay, then what it, you're saying is actually I've made saying banal, mm. and I hope as a human being I'm not a banal human being. I would not say so. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, so I love, I love the fact that what what we do engenders a lot of conversation and interaction, um, and I love the fact that perfumes, like you've said, you discovered Shipka Extraordinaire, you loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't sell around the world. It doesn't sell. And mm-hmm. now uh, you can only buy it uh, in the UK. You, there's obviously some stock left, but mm-hmm. but we try to keep it going. All the time there is that small uh, demand mm-hmm. that if there's a client who still loves it and has an association on it, we try to keep the fragrances going where we can.
1: Okay, I'm selfishly going to ask this just because you mentioned Sheep Extraordinaire and I mm-hmm. have you right in front of me. If you could pick a fragrance in your collection that you think would be best for me?
0: Oh, dear,
1: that's cruel.
2: Can I come back to that? Yeah, you can absolutely. Let me me cogitate whilst we're talking.
1: Okay, well, while you think about it, another thing I do want to bring up is the Essence de Parfum line, which has been met with a lot of success. And I'm curious if you found that that has expanded your consumer because it is a slightly better entry
2: point price-wise. Totally. Uh, So I think that, uh, you know, the reality is when we launched the brand, as with all brands, you have to stand for something. Mm-hmm. So uh, we stood for a point of view mm-hmm. based around my olfactive taste and I've always believed in perfume as a strength. Mm-hmm. So it positioned us in a place, it might not have worked for us, but I was determined that's what it was going to be. Of course, now the brand is known. Still thousands of people need to know about it, but mm-hmm. uh, it's known. And there's also a desire for our brand. And we are aware, we, we launched the brand right at the beginning also with, with Eau de Parfum, so it's not something new to us. Mm-hmm. But strangely, when we launched, we didn't sell the Eau de Parfum. Hmm. It's really odd, nobody bought it, people bought the perfume. So now there is demand for the brand, a desire and an awareness. We are also aware of various things. that Not everyone can afford perfume. Mm-hmm. Maybe not everybody wants perfume. Mm-hmm. Um, so we needed a product which was more accessible. Mm-hmm. So we have actively tried to make uh, the eau de parfums, under whatever name we sell them, because mm-hmm. they're eau de parfum fundamentally, be as beautiful as the perfumes were, because they always were a little, they weren't as beautiful, let mm-hmm. me say. Mm-hmm. So with the the men's collection and uh, the women's essence de parfum, mm-hmm. we are aware that uh, there are a lot of stores and a lot of markets a lot of countries where the client base for some of our very expensive products is it's prohibitive mm-hmm. and we are aware that with the eau de parfum it's a very i think a very beautiful product mm-hmm. that is much more accessible for for people so we have actively uh, developed developed it so that maybe when you're in uh, some stores they can have that as their collection because it mm-hmm. suits the client, suits the country, suits the temperature, suits whatever it is it suits.
1: You can customize it by market and figure yeah,
2: out what works best. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which I'm very pleased to say is not my work mm-hmm. because I must to get all of that wrong. So it's very nice that that's what Audrey, Audrey does a million other things, but that's that's what Audrey is. Brilliant. genius. Brilliant. Genius at doing, of knowing what should be wear.
1: <laughs> I, I love that. You got to have a good team to. Everything's a, about
2: yeah. everything's about that. It's about the team, mm-hmm. and we're really very lucky. The team we have around us, we have some of the most fantastic uh, people. I, I play one part in an orchestra. Mm-hmm. It's very simple, but I need all the other people with their skills to make what we do happen. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, at the very beginning, it was, you know, m- my idea and my. Risk, if you like, mm-hmm. but even so, with the help of other people, I'd never have done everything by myself. It's not possible. And so it happens just because it's my name on the product, but. Uh, You know, when you see, I think, all these fabulous things like the Isola Blue packaging or the graphics on Apex or Mm -hmm. whatever, that's down to to my team. It's nothing to do with me at all.
1: Oh, interesting. Well, we're going to get to that in a second. But one thing I do want to bring up, because this was like a revelation for me when I saw you posted a video about this, which was that you recommend, and I hope everyone's listening, that you apply lotion after yep. your scent can you tell us the thought process yes 100
2: the- if you went into a, a beauty hall whatever you want to call it cosmetics hall mm-hmm. and a salesperson recommended your skin care and they said you you cleanse your face like showering mm-hmm. and then you apply this you know super luxury super duper anti-aging hydrating cream
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then you take an alcoholic based toner and you wipe the alcoholic-based toner all over the top of your cream, mm-hmm. what would you think and say? You'd mm-hmm. think the person talking to you is nuts. <laughs> right. So if you put, uh, your bathe, your shower, whatever it is you do, and then you put on your body moisturizer, body cream, mm-hmm. if you spray alcohol on the top of it, which is what fragrance is, mm-hmm. it is going to damage the cream.
1: Is so, everybody listening to this groundbreaking?
2: So my my belief has always been once you're dry... You put on your fragrance, the warmth of your body will make the alcohol evaporate in a few seconds. Mm -hmm. When you put the cream on, the cream will trap the fragrance in place, but you will not damage uh, the the, the effect of the cream, whatever the cream does. So if it's Mm -hmm. hydrating, it will be as hydrating as it can be. Mm -hmm. If it's softening, it will be as softening as it can be. So you keep the integrity of the cream, but it also locks the scent in. So that is my uh, reason for it.
1: I can confirm that it does work because when I saw that video, I went home and tried it. And for everyone listening, I very much recommend, this is also a dumb question that I'm even wasting your time with this, <laughs> but do you recommend an unscented lotion or would you recommend something that...
2: Depends. I think that's just down to what's practical for you. Okay. So it might be if you if you if there's one or two scents you love and they mm. happen to make a matching cream, mm. great. Mm-hmm. If not, uh, try to buy something which is truly unscented. Okay. Um, I, I think there's there's no right or wrong, but a lot of products which say they're unscented actually have, you know, the the carrier base has, it has a scent. Stuff to it, so right? you, you you need to find something which you think is really really unscented, and then try it. You know, yeah. When you go into a store, spray the fragrance and put a bit of these three creams you found or whatever on top, and see which one you think uh, doesn't disturb the fragrance best.
1: Mind-blowing advice from Roger Dev. This is amazing. And I want to talk about the new fragrances that have just launched. Can you please tell us about Isola Blue and yep. Apex and Elysium?
2: With pleasure. So let, let's do them in, um, in the order in which they were launched. Let's Great. do it that way. Yes. So Apex uh, was our most recent launch for men. Mm-hmm. I always need a, a name and a person. So when i coming with how a scent should be, a name and the person or personality type. So with Apex, so Apex of course is the summit, the pinnacle, the best, the top, and uh, this thought was that all around the world, everywhere, you hear people talking about the planet in different mm-hmm. ways, the environment, the planet, what we're, what we're doing to the planet. And so uh, it made me stop to think uh, when I made this mm-hmm. scent, how do you create a perfume which captures this reconnection with the earth. And so it was the idea, if you look at a mountain or a hill and you really look at the apex, mm-hmm. you're going to discover something very bright and fresh, mm-hmm. but very quickly connecting us with earth and with the inner us. Mm-hmm. So I think that we often forget that we're animal and that we have an inner animal voice. Mm-hmm our gut instinct, whatever it is you want to say. When we have a feeling, you should always follow it. When we normally don't, it's when something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And so with this scent, you have uh, a few things. So if we're looking at an inner spirituality, it has frankincense, because incense was a way of connecting with the gods, sending messages. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of patchouli, which smells of the earth itself. Mm -hmm. And you smell uh, also... Fur balsam, the smell of fur. Mm-hmm. So it's the idea of being in a woodland and as you brush past it, so you're totally in touch with nature. Mm-hmm. So this center is about reconnecting us with nature and reconnecting us with the animal in ourselves, listening to ourselves, being guided by ourselves to be the very best version of ourselves we could be. So mm-hmm. that's so then we reach our apex. That was the idea.
1: That seems full circle with your bluebell story, <laughs> the smell of the woodland yeah, The right? woodland floor, exactly yeah, that. Yeah. You never get away from it. Yeah.
2: Uh, Elysium globally is our biggest selling fragrance which is interesting because when we launched our brand we of course had no idea will we fundamentally be a brand that appeals to men a brand that appeals to women who -hmm. who knew I thought we'd be a brand that appealed to women more than men our split is around Mm 50-50 we in fact sell a little bit more to men than women Hmm. Um, that will change this
0: autumn
2: but that's another story I look forward to it and so with Elysium The story of Elysium was, uh, as you know, Elysium is one of the oldest names for paradise. Mm -hmm. And uh, I stopped to think, what is paradise? And so paradise for us could be an extra hour in bed. Paradise could be for us uh, just sitting out watching the sun rising or sitting maybe on the beach watching the sun setting. Mm -hmm. But whenever you are in paradise, the one thing you do not have is any weight you have no worries, because mm-hmm. if you have worries, you're not in paradise, you're in purgatory. It's a different, different story. Right, right. And so I wanted to make a scent that made us absolutely feel something which was weightless, but which connected us to the earth. Mm. It's always this thing connected us to the earth. And so Elysium is a scent which has a, a very, very bright opening, and it's a little bit like the man that walks into the room that lights the whole room up. Mm. And as he radiates light out, at the same time maybe he's drawing you in toward him. And so it has a lot of very fresh uh, citrus and aromatic notes in the top, but with it there's a note of musk. So mm. from the very beginning you understand there's a very sexy story going to work through this. It's a, the, a musk in the top of it, it's a helveta lead. With Elysium being this very big, uh, success, We, uh, I wanted to look at the story of Elysium, and it was suggested that maybe I might like to do something different with it. Mm-hmm. And so we came with something called Ointons. Intense. And for me, it's really important to explain. It's uh, I don't mean this rudely, it's not a flanker. In a way, It is. it has the same name, but it's a different scent. Mm-hmm. And it's how do you really intensify this story?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so... With its name, I mean, tons people might think it's just fresher. Right. But the whole story of uh, Elysium is about this very, very woody, rich, sexy base. Mm-hmm. And so, in the top, I'll give you it to smell in a second. Uh, in the top, it has the same materials, this big burst of lime and lemon, but there's a note of rhubarb, which makes it really Ooh. juicy and uh, very succulent. You still smell the hervetalid in the top. In the heart, a uh, new addition is tuberose, mm-hmm. but the tuberose is there this is a chypre so like chypre extraordinaire it doesn't smell sweet it doesn't smell flowery what it does is give richness and volume i took the pink pepper out and replaced it with black pepper because black pepper is adds to freshness but also it has a very woody side to it right and then in the base it has a note of violet leaf which is a natural, it's not it is used but it's not used so very commonly and it was uh, being in touch with the Elysium floor, touching the, the grass, being in contact with the earth of the Elysium field itself. Mm. So uh, this, if I can give you it to smell. Sure, I would love to. You're the second person in the world that I have shown this scent to. Oh, wow. Other than people within our own company.
1: Oh, that's Beautiful. Like, I love the pepperiness of this.
2: Yeah, it's, it gives it a lovely vibrancy. The whole mm-hmm. opening I, of it is bright and vibrant. Right. So like the person walking in the room that wears it where you uh, you you turn your head.
1: Right, but there's it's very citrusy, but something cuts it. That's just very, zesty is a great word. It's just really, this is beautiful.
2: Thank you. Mm. And so that's launching uh, later. It's coming, I think, in May. Wow. Very exciting. And then uh, the main, the main launch, the, the
1: the big launch. I love the name, by the way.
2: You like it? I love it. Thank you. Well, Isola Blue. The story of Isola Blue. It's uh, there's no such place, of course. We've we've invented our own holiday destination. Uh, I think holiday is such a special thing for all of us. Mm-hmm. I think everybody would agree we never get enough of it. Mm-hmm. So when we go on holiday, we hopefully are making something precious and magical as a memory. And so this, this imaginary place is about uh, somewhere in the Mediterranean off uh, the coast of Italy, where you're surrounded by all the citrus uh, trees. You know, the best bergamot comes from Calabria so mm-hmm. on. And also the smell of all the aromatic notes, mm-hmm. uh, like the lavender growing there, and also thyme. And I don't know if you know the smell of thyme oil, but it has in the background something slightly leathery. So what's mm. interesting, you're going to get this very, very fresh, Citrus aromatic opening. It's literally like the sun dancing on the sea as you arrive at Isola Blue in your river. Um, in the heart, it has a, a flower called champaca. Do mm-hmm. you know
1: champaca? I do, yes.
2: So, champaca, I think when you smell it, the creamy warmth of champaca is absolutely like the smell when you hug somebody who's been laying in the sun mm-hmm. and you smell the, the, the sun sort of radiating off their skin. Mm-hmm and uh, it has a little bit of fruitiness in it. It has a little note of coconut, uh, absolute to make us think of the sunshine. And then the base of the perfume, uh, it's a, a chypre, mm-hmm. so you have a lot of patchouli and oak moss, mm-hmm. a bit of vetiver. But around it, it has um, some very, very soft materials. It has a little bit of benzoin, a little vanilla. Mm. And so the idea of it, it's um, you you're staying in the most beautiful villa Everything is the softest. Everything is the most luxurious. Mm-hmm. You know, ultra soft leather on the uh, on the seats of the Reverb. Um, so it, it takes excited. you to your, your paradise island, your fantasy paradise island.
1: Isola Blue. Isola Blue. I love it. Ooh.
2: How do you find it?
1: I'm really getting the herbaceous feel in
2: there. Yep. That's it, so interesting. Well, it, but, has, it has, sorry, what you maybe be picking up on too, I forgot to say. It has new moon hay, cut grass. Cut grass. And so I wanted saying that absolutely everything you smell makes you think of summer. Mm-hmm. So the smell of those citrus fruits and the herbs and the cut grass, mm-hmm. you're not anywhere cold and gray skies. It takes you to somewhere really bright and mm-hmm. summery, which I think is reflected beautifully in this uh, aqua blue
1: cap. Yeah, it feels like the mix of like a, a summer vacation, but also does have that sort of woody element to it yep. with that, with the aromatic notes in this. This is really beautiful.
2: It can be a forever a holiday with one bottle.
1: In a bottle. In a bo- <laughs> I mean, any Sola Blue. I would add that. I have like a running memo in my phone of like baby names I like if I ever have kids. <laughs> I would name my child the Sola Blue. I think that's Well, like that's
2: a nice thing to do. There you go. I'll
1: name my child after your fragrance. Okay. Lovely. It has been such a joy speaking with you. And we have one final segment of the show. Yep. which is a rapid-fire scent association. It is a game called What's That Smell?
0: Mm, what's That
1: Smell? I will throw out abstract concepts, places, people, and you just tell me the first smell that comes to mind.
2: Okay. And
1: no answer is incorrect.
2: Good. I'm really happy to hear that. Okay. <laughs> Are
1: you ready to play What's That Smell?
2: I am absolutely ready to play What's That Smell.
1: Okay, Roger, what is the smell of London?
2: Depends what part of London you're in. That's not a good answer, and it's not rapid fire. But, uh, you know, if you go to Covent Garden, it smells nothing like going to the side of the River Thames. Let's say the River Thames. Okay, River Thames. River Thames. And you want to know what that is? The River Thames is the smell of the chestnut vendor. Okay. It's the smell of the fact we have a little beach, which most people don't know. So the smell of the River Thames is the Houses of Parliament. It's the chestnut cellar. It's the smell of all the diesel from the cars, the fumes Mm -hmm. of the cars. And it's the smell of the slightly salty, briny water and the beach.
1: Covent Garden.
2: (laughs) Covent Garden. Depends what time of day you go. But for me, the smell of Covent Garden is the opera house. And therefore, it's the smell of people dressed up for a fabulous night
1: out. And maybe just like a cacophony of fragrances in the air. Absolutely that. And what is the smell of Manhattan?
2: Brisk, bright and breezy. It's the smell of Central Park.
1: Mm, beautiful. I love that for I love that for us. Oh, because you were talking about paradise, what is the smell of purgatory?
2: Oh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Veltol, a raw material called Veltol, that for me is the smell of purgatory. What does that smell like? Uh, it's a smell of sort of candy, floss, and sugar.
1: I am mm, with you it's there. It's a very,
2: very particular raw material and I don't like it.
1: Okay, I second that, cosine. Um, okay, I'm coming back to this question because you said I could. If you can answer with one of your fragrances, what would be the smell you had sent me with?
2: I think uh, maybe a scent that would be very hard for you to get your hand on, so I maybe shouldn't even say it, but I'm going to. Okay. Uh, Vetiver, Mm -hmm. or a scent called Risqué.
1: Oh, I, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> So I'll have yes, to look into because it. Because
2: I think you'll come across, I'm being very personal, but you'll come across as grounded but very mischievous.
1: Oh, that's, that is everything I'm going for in life. I feel like you've <laughs> nailed me. Thank you so much. I take that as the highest well, compliment. Well, you're,
2: you're uh, radiating that out, so. <laughs>
1: great, great, love that. Uh, okay, the final question. What is the smell of Roger Dove?
2: A leather glove wrapped in cashmere.
1: Stunning, stunning. <laughs> um, I that's beautiful, um, Roger. It has been a delight chatting with you today. Thank, Thank you so much for your candor and your amazing stories, and for letting me be the second person in the world to smell Owen Talls, <laughs> uh, and uh, for everything. It's been really, it's been really lovely.
2: Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Yeah, and where can people um, shop for them?
2: So in Manhattan, Bergdorf Goodman Mm -hmm. or Sachs. Across America, most of the Neiman Marcus stores or rogerparfum.com.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you very much indeed.
1: This podcast was edited by Joe Leonardo. Music is by Max Vernon and illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez.